follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. gentlemen welcome to the four corners podcast this is shad here with matt and brad gentlemen we have hit the century mark we have made it far in our journey (laughs) our podcasting journey you know it's amazing the episodes really do rack up quickly because it's hard to think that we're coming up on our two-year mark of doing this Mm. yeah uh, here we are episode 100 and I don't know. It just seems like the other day we were messaging back and forth, and I'm like, "Hey, you know what? Uh, you know, you think we're thinking we could do this? I think we got a good dynamic for it." And here we are. We want to say thank you all for joining us here for our 100th episode. Now that we're in triple digits, I don't know that that should have some sort of credibility attached to it, right? Uh, <laughs> but I, we... I'm gonna I'm gonna announce right here in our hundredth podcast. I'm no longer gonna go by just Matt. I will now be known as Matt Exotic. <laughs> and I'm going to transition our show into just talking about tigers and zoos. Are you the Professor Matt Exotic? Do you not get the reference? No, I get the reference. I haven't uh, watched. I haven't I'm watched calling that back to <clears throat> Professori. Um, I'm obsessed <laughs> with, with that show. I haven't watched it yet. Is it good? It's insane. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet because... I have, um, I don't, I think it was a national story. So in a town that's about an hour from here, some dude had a bunch of exotic animals about eight years ago, I'd say. Mm -hmm. And he like let them all out and, um, then killed himself. And like, they, they had to put down all these tigers and lions and shit because this guy, like, you know. I don't know if the show is a hundred percent accurate on this, but I can believe it. But there is, I guess, about 4,000 tigers in the wild because we, unfortunately, they're, they're heavily endangered species. There's supposedly five to 10,000 tigers that are basically bred and, and are owned in captivity or private ownership here in the United States. Mm-hmm. I think like, let that sink that. in. You should watch it just because the, the, the cast of characters is absolutely amazing. They, I every, everyone is varying levels of insane and i my family's like from the south I've, I've known like rednecks and hillbillies in my lifetime i have family members who were who are kind of fall in that description this is a level of white trash that i have never never seen or contemplated it's like is it like that that backwoods like deep backwoods that you would never find without like a map level of like hillbilly no, but it is very just like loving their guns, loving drugs, lo- 
loving tigers, apparently. Uh, that seems like a very bad album. combination. Oh, yeah. You can buy a tiger, apparently, for $2,000. I can't get certain, like, breeds of, of purebred dog if I wanted them for, for under $2,000. You can't even get a fucking bulldog for $2,000. Yeah. You get a tiger, and, though. And the bulldog is far less likely to try to hurt you. Which one of... Was it Siegfried or Roy that got mauled by one of the tigers? That was Roy, wasn't it? It was Roy. That was one of my favorite early internet memes was um, the picture of them and then Tigger jumped on one of them. Yep. The uh, the only... I haven't... I have not watched Tiger King, but I've seen the memes and the line that... Um, the line that sticks out to me is the phrase... Well, the only way you get a tiger to eat some eat a person is to cover them in sardine oil. Blink, blink. So I've heard, or something to that effect. Um, oh yeah, uh, they're talking about that bitch Carol Baskin. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the meme says. You need to watch it. If you watch it, you can join the rest of America in fully believing that she one hundred percent killed her husband. Okay. Well. <clears throat> Well, it'll be the great documentary villain up there with Billy Mitchell from uh, The King of Kong. Oh, that, I mean, honestly, you, my takeaway of of this, and because no one is really likable. There's like two likable people, kind, not even likable, but like two like not horrifically awful people in this entire show. Yeah. And yet she still comes to me like she was still the most like like annoying and and person i liked the least and that's there's literally people who are so shady you know that they just have to be doing all sorts of like nefarious things can mm-hmm. i ask you a legitimate question what's more uh, likely did did this carol baskin kill her husband or is it more likely that paulo killed his wife it's it's absolutely more likely that carol killed her husband okay so i think that's a foregone conclusion okay one of the only, uh, I'll say, likable people, uh, Brad. There's a libertarian guy on there, and he is so libertarian. <laughs> if you, if you understand what libertarians are, like he's so libertarian. So, he, like, he, does he, does he, does he have like, does he have a cop copy of Atlas Shrugged next to his jerk off towel? He probably does. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he hooked up. He was Joe's former campaign manager, Joe Exotic's former campaign manager, and they got connected because this guy ran the ammo shop at the local Walmart. Like that's. Oh my I mean, gosh. Yeah, he, it's a anyway. It's a fascinating show. Uh, I was happier to binge that this weekend than WrestleMania Thirty. Is it eight-ish episodes? It's seven. I've heard they're going to do an eighth one, but it's not. Okay. It's not, I guess, with Joe Exotic, so, so I don't care. So I, I, I know I've complained to you about this, you guys about this before, but I've never talked about on the on the podcast. I have this real like developing hatred of Netflix exclusive shows because most of them are like ten episode seasons, and you'd think that would mean the quality of content is better, but Netflix shows love to give you like four goodish episodes and then six episodes of complete filler and it drives me up the wall i think it depends uh, it depends upon the show i felt like all of those um i haven't watched all of them but like the marvel oh um, they're terrible about that the marvel netflix shows like daredevil and luke cage and all of that the, it was that that pattern actually was 
that works. Like you get like six good episodes and then a whole bunch of filler. Like we watched, even, uh, we watched Jessica even Stranger Jones. Things. Go ahead. I was gonna say we watched Jessica Jones and we just gave up in season one because we we're like he's still in the basement after four episodes. Like my wife looked like we have four episodes left. I'm like I I I don't understand. Like nothing's happened for three episodes. Like I'm done. Even Stranger Things kind of um, has drags in the first, uh, you know, in the in the about right about the middle of the season, it'll it starts to drag, <clears throat> and then they pick back up. I haven't watched season three because I saw they introduced more characters in season three, and I'm like, this show already has too many characters. I uh, I overall like season three a lot. Yeah, just... it's a weird. I mean, the show is a mashup of different genres. It's a mashup of like 1980s uh, spy movie and just flat out horror. Yeah, like and there's, really there's like a lot it, of flat out horror. I mean, yeah, and like like disgusting horror. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of body horror in this. In the third that's season. that's fair. I like Stranger Things quite a bit. I think it's a highly overrated show, though. I don't think it's nearly as good as people act like it is i think it's like i still think it's like a solid b maybe b plus show at times but people act like it's an a plus which i don't think it is it has its problems but it's overall entertaining it's i think it's a good show i, I don't think it's the greatest what was your rate, red. What's your rate higher than stranger things then on netflix um i would actually say witcher was better I haven't seen that yet. Um, the the Drew Barrymore show was a lot better. Well, the first season, it kind of went off the rails. <clears throat> I haven't seen that one either. Um, Disenchantment is better, in my opinion. Um, I would say Daredevil is better, but that's the only Marvel show that was better than it. Hmm. Well, no. Um, first season of Punisher was good. Is about the same level. Oh, and um, Glow is Glow is by far the best Netflix series that they've done. Oh, and the haunting, was... at, the haunting at Hill House is better than Stranger Things also, I'd say. Haunting at Hill House is a great show. Uh, I think I've, well, I don't know if we talked about it, but the sixth or seventh episode of that show, when it was essentially one continuous shot. Yeah. When they were in, um, in the funeral home, that's one of the most impressive episodes of television I think I've ever seen. Yeah. I, th- I thought that show was really good. It didn't fall into that problem. I also think Glow was pretty good about not having that problem. Um, I was I was going to say, speaking of uh, speaking of Glow, it's a wrestling podcast. <laughs> um, I was going to kind of drag us back over to Getting our, our, our sponsor shout outs if you guys are okay with that. Yeah, we totally forgot about last week. <laughs> we kinda... So the first the first one is our shout out to Collar and Elbow. That is our affiliate. Use the promo code Four Corners Podcast. That's the number four. Capital C and Corners, Capital P and Podcast. No spaces. You will save ten percent off your order. You will get some comfy wrestling. Uh, attire that you can wear during your time at home 
And I got to tell you, I I am a little bit frustrated because the His House shirt is still sold out. Um, I keep waiting for that to come back in my size, and I even looked, Matt, to see if it was in your size, and it's still not. So, wow. Yeah, I'm waiting for that. Yeah, for I have this. I have this. Um, so when I was fat and I needed two XLs, I could never find two XL, and then I lost weight. And now I can't find large. It's it's the bane of my existence. Just finding shirts that fit. Yeah, because because obviously because I used to you know used to when I was fat all I would find is medium and large and now that I'm I'm not fat anymore all I find are X are two XLs I'm like great like this is just the best. <laughs> well, fair enough. Um, I ain't got a, I, I, there's not a whole lot I can say right now. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm still a 2XL guy. Well, so. the worst is like when you, when you, when you see some left and it's all like 5XL and it's like, who's going to buy this? Like, seriously, you know, exactly who's going to buy that. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then since it is our century mark we do need to do it this has been a joke almost since the first episode we i, yeah. I have to go back and look but this joke second has episode. been running it was the second episode well yeah. it's probably technically the fourth episode because there is that <laughs> second and third episode we lost so as far as the podcast right. goes it was episode two slash episode four ah yes the lost episodes yes but who is that for, Matt? That would be to the great Epico Cologne. I hope he's practicing social distancing. I hope he listens to this 100th episode. It's been almost 100. It's like, I guess, 99. <laughs> 99 <laughs> episodes of just love and appreciation for Epico. So I hope it pays uh, off one day with an uh, exclusive interview. Oh, man, that would be great. So we were uh, batting. Well, we said it last week. What were we going to do for our 100th episode? And here we are. Um, it is time for us to hit on another 100. We are going to be talking about the 100th episode of WCW Monday Nitro. Now, I think this is actually a unique show for... Um the four corners podcast because we, we talked about this before watching it but i think all three of us watched this live when it happened i know i did i know i, I did. did yeah i did okay so i think this, this... the ending to me was shocking oh wasn't it yeah mm -hmm. so i think i think this is this is the first old show we've done where we all watched this as it happened you know what? I think you're right. I think it is. So, this is um. Let me see. What was the date stamp on it? Eight August fourth, ninety seven. Ninety ninety seven. Yeah. Yeah. August fourth, nineteen ninety seven. If you need to try and find it, uh, if you're gonna go through the the twisted wasteland that is the the um, <clears throat> WWE Network navigation panels. Or you could just have a video file of it on your computer like I did and get Voodoo Child and all the original music. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Can I interject? I, I know yeah, sure. we bitched about 
the update to the network like five times uh-huh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh we go so off on this I, like every month i couldn't i couldn't watch this like all at once so i i started watching it on like the app for my smart tv uh-huh um and so i try to go back to watch it and of course like it doesn't it doesn't actually save save it in my watch now mm-hmm. uh so that's that's really super inconvenient. I tried then to watch some of it later on my phone. Uh, again, the same issue. Like I had to basically hunt for it every time I wanted to watch, like a little bit further along. The only where like, the only place where it actually like kind of saves what you were watching is on the actual website, which it's like what what the hell kind of like network update is this? that unless i'm like sitting in front of a computer or a laptop or something like that's the only way it works like the the actual app for for a smart tv which is how i imagine most people want to watch it or on their phone like you can't get it together and the the worst part is it used to work that way and yeah and it's 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 a it's a redundant program like you you're not going to be able to search this out easily no so, no, I mean, I had to go through, yeah. like, several different screens to try and find the same episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was... Even even me using the app through the Fire Stick that I have, it was... Oh, my gosh, it was so frustrating. Because it's just like, hey, I'm trying to... The hell is Nitro? Okay, what? who laid it out to go through it this... I... <clears throat> and so, you know, I'm, I'm, like, sitting there muttering to myself. And my my kids are looking at me thinking I've gone around the bend. It's just, it won't be the first time that happens. It's just the old, the old network had a lot of problems. I think it was a crappy interface in general, but it was functional. You could get where you needed to go. And like, you could kind of figure out its logic. Like I would have been able to find this. It would have remembered it. And at least if it didn't, I would have known where to go. Pretty much. But instead, we've got what we've got. Yeah. Now, so um, this this was in a time when Nitro was not typically a three-hour program. No, it was not. And so this was a special three-hour event. And we had... Uh, they, they, I mean, they even said that from the beginning. It's like, yep, here's what's going to be going on. And then they laid out a whole bunch of stuff that was going to happen. Because uh, they were talking about there was going to be an announcement from the Steiners, an appearance by Sting, um, the matches they were going to have. And then they announced right up at the beginning, the main event, since Luger was already supposed to face Hollywood Hulk Hogan for the title at Road Wild... Um, which uh, some people have already written books about how bad of an idea it is to have a wrestling show at Flippin' Sturgis. Um, they were supposed to have that match then, but then the the statement is that the that the lawyers figured out a way to go ahead and give Luger the shot tonight, and so Hogan's all mad about that. It sounds like they um, snuck some trickery into the language of the contract or something. Is kind of what the general consensus I got. Yeah, Matt, is that a? It, 
I'm not I'm not saying you're an expert, but you know more about this than I, I know I do. So uh, how likely would it be to have something like that? Have what? Say that again? How, how likely would it be that there's just sneaking gotcha language into a contract? Uh, sometimes people try and get slick with that, but it, it, these things are kind of so vetted. Yeah. That it it would likely get caught. It does, and I won't say it never happens. Um, and a lot of times, like companies will try and do that. Just uh, there's so much tech sometimes, so you, that's why you always really should read everything really, really, really well. It's more, I would say, more if if it's between two like actual like legal entities, yeah, or co- two corporate entities, like that's that's gonna get poured over by legal people anyway. Yeah, uh, that's more like if a if a corporation wants to try and slide something into like a user agreement or something like a lay person probably would not yeah uh, but a lot of that stuff doesn't actually hold up in court like if you were to sue them because a judge would be like that's not a reasonable assumption for you to assume a person would make so it doesn't count oh yeah Uh, that's for case in point if you uh if you ever do something like an activity if we can ever actually do activities again. <laughs> Never <laughs> happening. If you do something like, for example, like uh, last year for my brother-in-law's bachelor party, we went and we were out in, uh, and rode ATBs and we okay. had to sign a waiver basically saying like, you know, you, you are, uh, you're foregoing your opportunity to sue us if you get injured. Uh, that's kind of like classic boilerplate contract stuff that a lot of these companies will do for that type of activity. Uh-huh. You you cannot sign away your right to do that sort of thing. Like that's they just, they just think that if you sign it, then you think you're stuck. Probably like oh, well, I signed a waiver, but it's like no, you you can sue. You can sue. You can absolutely sue if you get injured because you don't know. Like maybe they were negligent. Maybe their equipment was faulty. Maybe they should have been doing something. Like you, you can't just like do sign away something like that. Yeah. So that's kind of like that's one example. The only the only time the only time um, that you you do sign that away is usually like legal settlements. Sometimes you do forfeit certain things yeah yeah or like non-disclosure agreements yeah or you're saying like i am taking this money in this legal settlement and i will not sue you further blah 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 like that's you well yeah but then there you've actually keyed up on something that's actually important where there's some sort of compensation or yeah. consideration absent that it's it's really difficult to actually say like you waive something it's like if you if you get something for it then yeah, like you can say that because then that becomes just more of like a contractual relationship. There's a legal terminology for it. And I can never remember. Like it's um, uh, I said it before. It's like what a reasonable person would assume seems to play into some of that stuff too. Um, I know I've seen judges like say something like that before, but I can't remember like what it's called. Uh, I got nothing for you. All I know is that they claim that uh, Hogan's going to have to defend against Luger. And so the first thing we get is we get Bischoff and and Hogan, 
who come out to talk about it. it it's it's every NWO Hogan promo you ever heard, basically. What really surprised me was how short it was, but I just think <laughs> that's the truth. But I have to say, really for the whole show, like the brevity of everything was really refreshing compared to like Raw. And I'm wondering if like these Hogan promos are are gonna seem like if I were to go through and watch the NWO era Nitro, if his promos would actually seem short now with how long winded wwe promos are now i don't know if it would because hogan hogan promo segments typically took up an entire segment by themselves yeah. but it wasn't all talking either and i think he usually filled it with good stuff but what i also wanted to say and i think i said to you guys in chat is him coming out to like voodoo child with like the spray painted belt and air guitar in the belt as he comes out i was thinking Wow, that's actually cooler than anything I've seen in WWE and on most indies in 15 years. It's it's quality stuff. You've got to you got to work pretty hard in order to find something that that matches up to it. I mean, I I'm going to I would sit here and say like, you know, John Moxley leaving with the cars to a Ford GT is pretty good, but that's not a consistent like every week thing yeah. that was a one-off and i like the promo because he's like he's I, and i forgot with this but like hogan's like full megaloman megalomania with like his nwo promos and it really works for him he's a really great heel he absolutely oh, yeah. is I'll, I'll i will fully confess i had forgotten just how good of a heel hogan was in this time frame like you know, we can talk about it, and everybody talks about it. You know, you know, he turned heel, and it was the right thing for him doing stuff, but I had forgotten just how good at it he was. I found the clip for you guys today, but but I think what really states how great he was, and you can go on YouTube and find it, just look up Hulk Hogan, old lady, <laughs> and him getting in that old lady's face and, like, stooging and selling for her. I remember we did talk about it once, but I remember seeing that live. Yeah, I, I found the clip for you guys, and I put it in our chat earlier today. But, like, he really does. Like, he, he, he you know, he. He totally plays it. Yeah. And even so, when we get into the match, like, there's some really, like, great stuff he does. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that when we get to the match. Yeah. Um, to run this down, we the, the very first match on the card is um mortis versus kurt hennig and this was right after hennig turned on page i can't remember who page was up against it was it was uh, like page and him versus like randy savage and someone at bash at the beach was it yeah okay. let me i couldn't remember if it was um if it was nwo or if it was dealing with flair it was randy savage and scott hall okay okay that makes sense I kind of remember that angle now because um, he said, no, I got to They're like, who are you going to get to back you up? Because ain't nobody going to back you up. And he's like, no, I got a surprise for you. And it turned out to be Kurt Hennig, which was cool because Hennig had just arrived. And then Hennig turns on page because. Uh... Anyway. <laughs> And Henning comes out and uh, to have a match with Mortis, and you know this this match is just just shy of what four minutes. It's really good. 
I, I it was shockingly a solid match for how short it was. Yeah, for for a four minute match, that's remar. You know, it was. I mean, it, I'm not gonna say it. You know, it's the greatest thing ever because that's not fair. But to have a four minute match be solid <clears throat> is kind of a lost art form. I feel like it was a really fun match. They could have gone twice as long easily, and oh, I would yeah. have been very entertained. Absolutely, it's um. What I liked here about it is, is Henning didn't have that like obvious drug like bloat in his face. Um, he looked really good. He looked really fit. He looked light on his feet. It was nice to see Henning like in a good state in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I thought was interesting here that you don't see often is. I thought it was interesting that Mortis sold his leg after the fisherman suplex. Uh, well, didn't hitting like, um, he did the, what is that old? It's like you pick the guy up and then bring him down. Your, oh yeah. The, oh, um, the guy, shin like, breaker. Yeah. Shin, yeah. Shin breaker. Oh yeah. That's true. Yeah. I forgot about that. So he, he did kind of like, he was, he, it was actually log- like logical continued selling and it was logical just as a setup because it's like you damage the guy's leg right before you're going to put him in a fisherman suplex. So if the leg is injured in theory, he can't use yeah. that leg to kick out. So. Yeah. And this, that's great psychology. This I is, love a, that. It, 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 it's really, it's really sad to say this because you don't see it anymore, but it, it, um, this is a really rowdy crowd. Oh yeah. Oh man. They are so fired up to be there. They're in Detroit. I think the what the Palace in Auburn Hills yep. is what they call it. Right, um, about five years. No, six years maybe before Malice at the Palace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was. Um, it was. Yeah, I mean the crowd was hot the whole night, and Henning was over. Oh, he was really over. I mean, it, it's. I'm gonna say this, and it's gonna sound kind of weird, but in the. Like, I, I'm surprised at how over Henning was, given that he just had a, you know, backstabber move happen recently. But this was kind of an odd time for that, because there were so many NWO fans that it seemed like that's what, like, half the crowd was clamoring for sometimes. Yeah, I would agree with that. But the other fun thing about it is they are not like the NWO is not the only folks that are over. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll yeah. get to it as we go. Um, so let's see. Next match on the card was Hector and Chavo Guerrero versus Dean Malenko and Jeff Jarrett with Queen Deborah. Now I don't, uh, I don't remember how, um, how Dean and Jarrett ended up together. I completely do not remember at all. Yeah, I do. Because and Jarrett yet... beat Malenko for the U.S. title. Hmm. Well, well, Eddie, if I remember correctly, Eddie Frog splashed Malenko and um lost him the belt. If I remember correctly, and I think they alluded to it on the show, um, Jarrett recruited Malenko because. He said, you know, I want to I want to work with people who get, you know, who are capable, who get things done. 
and Dean Malenko is a capable guy who gets things done. Like he it, apparently he strict he straight up recruited Dean Malenko for his competence. Okay. Which on one hand it's like really that's all we're but then on the other hand it's like well why wouldn't you do that? That that makes that that makes sense. Um it looks like after I'm I'm guessing based on results I'm seeing that they have some falling out at the pay-per-view and then they have a match on the next Nitro for the US mm-hmm. title. Which I do not think Malenko wins. He wins by DQ, it looks like, by the results. Oh, okay. Because Clash of the Champions is where Mongo beats him for the U.S. belt, I believe. Yeah. And um, and that sets up for um, the Nitro after War Games. Because, you know, for, for as maligned as Jarrett is, he really did a good job of getting Mongo super over for that angle. He did, and even in this match, just watching this match, how crazy, how much heat Jarrett has. He's a better, he's a better fit for WCW because even like, even in Detroit though, like they still, they, they, they're the fans that show up to those shows still have a certain expectation, and I think he fits in better with that. Mm-hmm. I was, um, I don't remember the two of them. Uh, teaming up but Jarrett and Malenko were a really good team yeah and this like just five minute match but they were um they had chemistry uh they were they were good oh yeah they were good and it it was it's kind of a pleasure to watch you know because it's Mm -hmm. they're so good at working together that you're actually kind of left wanting more because that was good, and you're like, man, I wish I had some more of that. And mm-hmm. and I know it's someone. He's someone I didn't appreciate at the time because you know he was just a jobber in WCW, and I I I came to see more of him like as I've watched more footage. But even in this match, like Hector Guerrero is just smooth as silk in the ring. Mm. You, I mean, you can tell he's got it. Yeah, very he, very much. He's just a very he's super proficient. Like even here, like he did like some of the like everything he did looked good. I thought he he really worked well with them. Mm-hmm. And Chavo I thought was pretty good too. Chavo's still kinda green here, but we can forgive that. Yeah. Um But yeah, it was a good match. Uh after that um, Mean Gene's trying to talk to Raven, and this was in Raven's. Hey, I get paid my full salary to sit at ringside and drink beer. Uh, stage of his career, and Which, he's. You know what shocks me about this because I don't remember he is over already. Yeah, he was over from like the first time he showed up, and I didn't. Okay, maybe it's just me. Like, I didn't really have access to ECW stuff. So I didn't know who I was dealing with. Right? I, I, I just, I, di- I didn't have any idea. I'm like, who, who the heck's this guy? And I asked some of my friends, and they're like, oh, you know, he's from he's from one of the, the promotions in, like, Philadelphia or something. I'm like, but who is he? And they're like, eh, he's some hardcore guy. And I was like, well, okay, okay but I was just 
I was perplexed at just how over he was. Because, like you said, he's crazy over. Mm -hmm. They made him interesting, though. I mean, because he'd been doing this for about a month by this point. Yeah, um, because I think Stevie, Stevie Richards pops up for this segment, and his whole thing was he was trying to get Raven a contract. Now, I, I don't know if it was because he thought Raven needed his help to do it or if um, ah, my cat has returned. So, uh, but it was Stevie's like, no, 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 I got you a contract. And then Raven abuses him and leaves. And uh, I don't know. I guess the story was supposed to be that Raven only wanted the contract on under his terms under the Raven rules term, so he got to do everything hardcore. I, um, I don't remember how this plays out. I know he and Stevie Richards have a match at Clash of the Champions because Stevie Richards has, like, a three-month run in WCW, and then he's just gone all of a sudden, and I don't know why. Yeah. I think he hung out with the flock for, like, a show. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm going straight off memory here, and I'm not certain. But um, so we have this segment, and and so Raven slaps Stevie, and the crowd goes that's... wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it weird to have the crowd go wild over like just just having that little bit happen? It's like we're we're missing out on something. Um, that was followed up by. A handicap match. Uh, at this time, the Giant did not have entrance music. Um, I don't think he ever I... had entrance music in WCW. He did when he was part of the NWO. but it was Oh, in the Dungeon of Doom. But the statement was the man who needs no entrance music. And I'm like, mm, I don't know that I care much. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, Matt, what you, you give us a rundown on what happens in this one? Well, it's it's giant versus three um, jobbers. I recognized two of the three. I didn't recognize the third, but you guys did. I recognized all three actually. <clears throat> well, I recognized Lenny Lane. Yeah, and I recognized Jumpin' Joey Mags. I was super excited to see Joey Joey Mags because I'm like, oh my god, I think that's Jumpin' Joey Mags, and it was. <laughs> yeah. So um, I didn't rec I didn't recognize the third person, but it was uh. TNA's got the more. Yes. We we bandied about that a little bit because Brad's like that was Scott Demore, and I'm like, are we sure that that's the same guy? <laughs> I checked because I saw the name before I watched it. So yeah, Scott Demore and 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 Matt. Shocker! Tell us what happens. Uh, they all basically get destroyed in like a minute. Um, the thing that I actually found really impressive about this, it's like a Paul White must just be like really, truly ungodly strong or he was back then because he was lifting those dudes up for choke slams, but then he would delay the release. He would like pick them up and hold them mm -hmm. and then drop them down. And it's like, he's not just like gorilla press slamming them or in theory, you know, you could. You, you could lift a guy up like you're doing like a, a set of dumbbells 
Like he uh-huh. was just holding him up, and he, even if you were saying like, okay, he's using his other hand to support them, he wasn't like grabbing them by like the butt and holding them up, or like you would like a baby. Yeah, you can kind of distribute the weight. Like he was putting it like in the in the middle of their back. So basically, like the way he was angling, what I'm trying to say is that he had to be really, really damn strong to be picking up like 200 plus pound dudes and holding them up in that position. Mm-hmm. for like a few seconds and then like dropping them down like it was i was really impressed i forgot like how how effective he was in wcw at that time you're you're right it, he and i remember he changed how he used to do because he used to do the choke slam the way you described where he'd hoist you up mm-hmm. with one hand and he'd put his other hand under your butt mm-hmm. but then he got um he went away or something and came back and started doing that with the hand on the back thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's super impressive. It is really, like, really impressive. And I got to give the jobbers credit here. They all get up and feed to him perfectly. Like, the timing on how they feed into the giant is really good. Um, and, you know, because it, it could have just been, like, if if they hadn't had the cadence on that right then that could have screwed up the flow but it was just one after the other 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 you know just they they just flowed into her really well the fine art of getting squashed the thing that terry funk warned scott hall about hey and joey mags knows how to get squashed like no one's business <laughs> Now, to give credit, Lenny Lane kind of had a career renaissance a few years down the line, so good for him. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a handicap match. But again, you know, it didn't take too long, but it was still good, or it was engaging. It wasn't boring. That was good. And then um, throughout the show, I've really been impressed by the announcers, like how they've managed to sell the pay-per-view and like what's going on and everything just as coming in as someone that you know it's coming as a one shot that watched all of this live but doesn't necessarily remember all of it Mm-hmm. yeah uh, they do a really good job hyping because they tie i mean they tie it together like you would want announcers to do but they do a good job at it yeah and then afterwards, we get Randy Savage coming out. He talks some smack, and Giant goes stalking. Uh, he does. It was... For the life of me, I can't remember what it was that put these two at odds. Because that just kind of seems like an odd matchup to me. But, yeah, what do I know? Uh, <laughs> not a, I'm not a master of the craft like Savage or anything, so... I mean, you got it. You got they're they're two of their top of the card people that didn't have anything to do, so you might as well put them together. Yeah, that's very very true. Um, and then we came into uh, this match felt a little well. It uh, it was about the same length as the previous tag match. You had Public Enemy versus High Voltage. For years, I heard people just, I mean, absolutely crap on um, Public Enemy. 
But I was in this like, yeah, yeah. I never really had a problem with Public Enemy. I thought they did fine. I and probably they... would be in that crowd because I never really liked them. I never really got. I never really got them. Okay. Uh, I just looked at them as two tough guys who like to put people through tables and were kind of good at it. Because there are a lot of cases where people weren't good at it. I don't think they're particularly good. I don't understand, like, the absolute vitriol they get online. Because, like I said, I would never defend them as being good or seek out their their matches. But there, some people get really bent out of shape about them, and I don't. That, that I don't get. To me, they're like a really, really poor man's nasty boys. I would agree with that. Oh, well, that's fair. I mean, I always felt that they were like over with people just because they had the whole ECW connection. Um, maybe. I, again, I guess it depends on. Um, I mean, they were a big part of like getting ECW on the map. I guess I was thinking just how ECW connected was a lot of the credit. Like, you know, I. I grew up in the mountains of kentucky i don't have any idea how you know i didn't have access to all, a lot of this stuff this was like early days of the internet wrestling well, not quite early like the middle early years of the internet wrestling community so it wasn't like there was streaming or anything you could you could maybe buy ecw dvds if you could find someone who you know if you could get in some tape trader circles but uh, it was it was not readily available. I think I agree with Matt. If you were trying to book the Nasty Boys and you just couldn't get them, you'd probably like look up Public Enemy on your Rolodex <laughs> to um, book mm. them instead. And that's fair. But uh, this do they, match, do they keep their awful theme music on the network? It is not because if you watch their their hand motions do not match up to the music that they have okay that might i hate the network (laughs) yeah and who were uh, who's public enemy uh fighting again here high voltage you mean yes back to our w- our greatest theme songs episode yes and um, how did i not realize what you were doing matt oh my god you set me up perfectly and like um we have to remember kenny chaos's great shame in the world of being replaced by judy bagwell as a tag team champion oh, yeah oh oh all right, so this match, because I don't want to think about that period. Uh, uh, you know, this match is not bad. You know, it's not bad. It's it, I think it's solid. I'm not saying it's good, but I think it's solid enough for you know a five minute tag match. I think Larry Zabisco saved their asses, especially high voltages in this match. Oh, okay. Because they seemed like they got a little lost and were losing the plot after the, um, after, was it Rocco Rock? No, it was Grunge, I think, that killed himself. Rocco was the table. Yeah. 
they kind of they kind of got a little lost and Zabisco I think kind of wove it together by talking about how they were inexperienced and were just wasting their this opportunity oh. where it got like really awkward and weird. He kind of I feel like he he told a story over that that might have covered them kind of flubbing something. Getting lost in the course of the match yeah. and not knowing what to and, do and next. And I think I think Zabisco that... saved them by saying, "Oh, these guys are just green. They don't know what to do. You know, they're just wasting their." I think that's a great point, and mm-hmm. um, I haven't. God, it's been a while, but um, I haven't. I haven't gone back to watch a lot of old stuff with the intent of uh, looking for. Um, the, you know, looking for stuff like that. Cause I, I, they're doing that and I hear Zabisco say it, but the thought just didn't register for me. So you're absolutely right. Did a great job. There's, there is also another noticeable flub later on with, uh, wrath and barbarian that they, they kind of mentioned, but barbarian was, is a much more experienced guy. And he just like, didn't even react to it. Okay, we'll get to that. I think I know what you're talking yeah, about, but we'll get to it. We'll get back. We'll get to it. Um, so, you know that we have this thing, and then it it ends up um, that uh, high voltage starts dicking around and get rolled up because they're not paying attention. Further playing into the story that Larry put out there. So you know. Good job to the living legend. Um, Larry and then, Larry was very on point this episode. I just want to say that. He kind of seems to fade in and out depending on, on the episode, doesn't he? Yeah, but this one, he I thought he was very on point. Like, I really enjoyed his commentary. Yeah. Um, I thought he did a really good job. It's, you know, it's to me it was always kind of a shame that Zabisco was only around for the first hour. Because you had Tanay would come in and replace him, and Tanay's fine, but Tanay's big role was the like uh, the lucha expert, and you didn't get a whole lot of lucha stuff, like maybe hour two, but it just seems to me you probably could have gotten a benefit by flipping him around, or unless Larry was just going to bed early or something, I don't know. Um. <laughs> But, I think uh, it just freshened the commentary team up, honestly. Maybe so. I think I think Raw would be better at three hours if they kind of like did this. Oh, if they rotated people around yeah. a little bit. You may be right. I had never thought about that. Um, let's see. So we have that one, and then they come back from commercial, and, you know, they've got the Nitro Girls who are supposed to keep the crowd engaged during breaks. And then in what I thought was actually a really great heel move is that Alex Wright comes out and starts dancing his way through them. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I like that. That's a nice touch. I, re- I really do like that. And it finally dawned on me. It's like, oh, right. Alex Wright dances like a douche. <laughs> Because, well, you know, because when I first watched it, I was in high school, right? And I wasn't thinking in those kinds of terms. I was just like, oh, God, 
People, why would he dance like that? And it's like, oh, it's because he's a douche. That's why he dances like that. I, of course he does. I have to say, though, I, I hate what they dub his music over with on the network because it misses the point of, like, because he – I always thought he had good music in WCW because it was just some awful, awful, like, techno music. Yeah, it was some weird Euro tech Yeah, and stuff. WWE, like, puts in, like, the most generic, like – no beat or anything to like cover yeah. it up. It, it doesn't match with the fact that he was probably dancing off beat as well. Yeah. Or ju- he was like just close to it, but not actually. Yeah. So it was. <laughs> and then me, me and Gene and him kind of have a back and forth. I thought he actually cut a pretty good promo here of just being like a little douchebag. He was playing the foreign heel thing to the hilt yeah. a lot, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Matt, you got quiet, have you? Sorry, I it's was okay. uh, distracted here. That's all right. Just just making sure you didn't have some 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 douche observations to throw into or anything. No. <laughs> Now again, I think it's Larry's. I'll throw a hold on. I'll, can I throw on one plug for Alex Wright, a uh, friend of the show, Christy Petrillo, is uh, they're doing an Alex Wright figure yeah. with Figures Toy Company. Oh, that's oh, great. really? Yeah, I think I, I don't think that's like a surprise. I think that he's actually announced that, so I don't think I'm sharing a detail he's shared with me in confidence. Yeah, you so. didn't sign an NDA. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's right. I don't have to abide by any of that. He's given me no consideration. <laughs> now, now, one thing I really liked here, and I think it was Larry Zabisco again, and it's something, like, it's a detail that, like, WWE would never do now. And I know I've heard them do it before, but I loved how on commentary during his match with Scotty Riggs, they sell how tall he is for cruiserweight. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. Because he's cruiserweight champion here, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I didn't think about that either. Maybe I just got lost in the commentary on this one because this gets it's been a stretch, uh, and so I've been you know trying to keep up with everything. And every now and then I lost a little bit of focus. This match wasn't very good, so I mean it's not like you missed anything. I mean Scotty Riggs is what he is. He's a he's like a. I don't even. American male. He's a mediocre worker. Like I don't even mean mediocre in a bad way. He's just kind of like technically proficient, not flashy. Just can do his job well. Um, yeah, he doesn't stand out at all. Yeah. And I, I feel bad if I'm bagging on somebody who's who's like that, but man, just. Seeing Scotty Riggs in the ring was never. No one was ever all a quiver to see Scotty Riggs at the ring. Yeah, I agree with that. I did like I did like some of his stuff with Ravens, like flocking. He was like Man. an okay act in ECW towards the end. Oh, I don't even remember that. Oh, he's Scotty I, Anton. I, he would do like the yeah, claps. He was, yeah, he was in there briefly. Yeah. I think when he was with the flock was kind of like the best utilization. I agree. For him. 
How fascinating was it to have the the flock, uh, the gimmick of just like these other guys who aren't doing anything. So we just we just sit around at ringside and drink beer and uh, and we get paid for it. I still love like Kidman riding Reese around. No, oh, yeah. Well, it served as a great springboard for a lot of those guys. Because um, the, the Kidman stuff fed into the, um, you know, Kidman being in the flock fed into his later uh, cruiserweight stuff. So, you know, good for him. I'm, I'm real happy for him. Uh, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. But this is a nothing match. Um this is kind of on the end of him and Jericho trading the belt back and forth. I think they wrestle at Road Wild. They do, yeah. Um, they made a. Here's another interesting thing that you don't you don't see much, but they made it a point to have um, Alex Wright win with Jericho's finish at the time that missile drop kick. Yeah, I did notice that. So, well, I mean quote-unquote by notice but it was a um you know it was a i thought it was a good detail so i think what happens here is he loses it back to jericho in a couple weeks and then he beats ultimo dragon for the tv title at clash of the champions and then jericho goes on and loses the cruiserweight belt to eddie guerrero because I think Guerrero loses to him at Clash of the Champions and then, like, Frog Splash splashes the belt onto his face, if I'm remembering correctly. You have a much better memory for this than I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have any memory on this. No, that looks about accurate. I'm looking at the results from Clash of the Champions. I, I, ain't, got any, I ain't got any room to talk. I spouted off the that whole godforsaken... Uh, uh, Dustin Rhodes Val Venus angle out of memory at one point. So I, it's it's amazing what you remember and what you don't remember. Because there's things I I have crystal clear recollection of on this show and other things that I don't. My only crystal clear recollection on this show was the main, but I remembered Paige um, and um Flair fairly well. You would think, like I would, I would have thought that I would have remembered that, but uh, I, I remembered, I, I just didn't. So, uh, let's see, what was next up? Um, uh, Crispin Wad and six. Can I make a confession real quick? Yeah, I was entirely too old whenever I finally figured out that. The name six is what happened when you add one, two, three together. <laughs> and that's where the name came from. I forget it from time to time, and then it's like a revelation every um mm. every couple of months. This was this was short, but I thought I really liked this one because they were just kind of like flying around in there, and I thought the mm-hmm. the Jarrett the Jarrett running was perfectly timed. Uh huh. It kind of speaks to how good Jared is in order to like time that how how good his timing on that stuff was. 
And then there's just kind of a big brawl afterwards. Malenko gets in there, and then Mongo gets in there, and, you know, crowd's eating this up. This was after they uh, kicked Jared out of the Horsemen, too. Yep. Right? Because he stole Deborah from Mongo. Right. I don't remember how that came about. I remember them tag-teaming a bit, but I don't remember how Jared got booted. Um, I remember it happening because he had just won a match and he strutted with Flair and then Flair was like, sorry, man, but I'm done with you. But I, I don't remember yeah. much in the way of the circumstances. And I know Ben was coming off of that big where he had to go through, um, I like the Dungeon of Doom. To get to Kevin Sullivan for their Bash at the Beach match. Because I remember, um, I remember that, um, I think they did it on Worldwide or something. I don't think it was on Nitro. I remember, like, when he was going to face Ming because he had lost, like, a couple pay per views before to Ming. I remember, like, uh-huh. woman asking him, like, not to do it. Like, yeah. on some, like, empty, like, arena type interview. Yeah, you mentioned that um, when we did that uh, Bash the Beach section. Um, But, let's see, this match had a lot of, it had a lot of heat, too. Like, they only went for four minutes, but they did a lot, and the crowd was into it. I was shocked it was only four minutes. It felt like... Not from an entertainment standpoint, but like from a content standpoint, I would have thought this was like an eight-minute match. Right. They did. Just, um, go ahead. Been like a, this could have been like a twenty-minute pay-per-view match. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They crammed a lot of matches onto this show. They did. There, there's a lot. There's. I think there's like thirteen matches. Yeah. There's. There's honestly, there's too many matches on this show, especially given most of them lasted like under five minutes it would yeah i i kind of enjoyed it because it was fun to see who was going to come through the the entrance just to see who got to work tonight exactly yeah because they had this the crazy big roster and we ended up flying a whole bunch of people to shows who didn't do anything it was though um, i three hours is just too much i think yeah. yeah even here yeah like it was fine as like a one-time gimmick, but it, it it really just it's too much. Like you just two hours is fine. Yeah, and um, the here's the thing that jumps out to me is we said what like what thirteen matches or something. Yep. Over the course of this, and they did it in three hours, and the you. We we I don't think we've come up yet to a match where we're like, oh, this was just garbage. I mean, we we looked at some of them and been like, eh, it, it, it was okay. There's only one match on here I felt was garbage, and we'll get to it. But even with that being said, what does it say when we can say, hey, you know, they did this, they had all of these matches on one card in three hours, and it was... It was okay, but you go to like last year's WrestleMania and it's the same number of matches, but you're just beating your head on the desk. That's because every match is like 10 minutes long. Like the, there was, 
everything the nice thing about this episode was that nothing nothing they didn't let something sit out there for like 20 minutes to die like a modern company would do yeah that's true um next match up is vincent versus booker t with stevie ray and uh, I had found this note. I don't know if it's accurate, but in the course of this, this was Vincent's first match on a Monday Night Wrestling show since 1994. <laughs> and Booker T kills him dead. Oh, within like mm-hmm. seconds. And then they just beat yeah. him up afterwards because they can. Well, it's like they're sending a message back to the NWO, but they're they're beating up on like the the leastest member so i thought i really thought though and i've said it before because i know it's a meme to like crap on him but i actually thought vincent was really good here it's it's kind of hard for me to say he was really good when there wasn't much time for it at least for me but we need to talk one day about my favorite vincent um gimmick of all time which is curly bill Mm. we touched on it we touched on curly bill and we touched on um what was it olive garden money yes <laughs> but what what i liked about this is um i don't i didn't have great recollection of harlem heat but i like that they're not like pure baby faces they have like a real heelish edge to them oh yeah well, and beating up Vincent, like, because uh, Stevie Ray gets a shot on the outside, too. So it's not just like Booker T just beats up Vincent. Like, Stevie Ray had a purpose out there. Matt, you were going to say something. and uh... Uh, Just as a funny aside in these, uh, in these quarantine times, uh, three days ago, you know the infamous picture of Virgil? Oh, sitting at a Sitting at a con with uh, just by himself no one no one's coming to get his autograph yeah a picture uh he actually posted that photo to his uh instagram three days ago <laughs> with the caption Did he really yeah with the caption undefeated social distancing champion <laughs> <laughs> i will say this i will say this about virgil like he is basically in on the joke like he he doesn't have any like shame he's very self-deprecating in that way so I appreciate well, we, that. We've talked about that before though, how, um, and I used Dennis stamp at the time, but Virgil was a good thing is like some of those guys need to embrace that stuff because people want to meet the meme. Like there's, there's, um, there can be like financial rewards and like embracing that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that picture, by the way, was actually before the floor for that event had opened up too. Like that's the backstory that I've heard. It's mm-hmm. it's not that like Vincent is is such you know poison that everyone's staying that far away from it. It's just the floor hadn't opened yet, and they got caught a picture of him looking really dejected in a way that ended up being really funny. I've, I've been to cons with, where he's been at before, and. It, like if he's if there's no one at his booth, like he'll talk some people over there. Uh huh. Because he's he's a very um. Have you ever met him before? Uh-uh. He's a very boisterous person. 
So like he, if he if he's bored, he'll 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 get a couple people walking by and just start chatting them up, even if they don't buy anything. Like he at least can amuse himself for five minutes. That's fair. That's a good skill to have because I've been to a lot of them where if there are guests who don't have any anybody there to see them, they just sit there and they look like someone killed their dog. And it's like, look, okay, it's I don't know what you were expecting out of okay. But then there's some of them they're sitting there and they're having a great time and they love talking to whoever shows up, so um he- he also, I, I don't know if they, he probably doesn't do it now because I know cons have changed a lot, but back when I, he was at the con I went to, he also had a TV running a loop of his matches, like an hour loop. And um, uh-huh. if people would stop and watch that, he'd start talking to them too. So he had his, he had his scam pretty good. Oh yeah. It sounds like he had that figured out pretty well. Yeah. Look, you, you have to be like a carny in the business knowing how to, to get the marks to pay you money so whatever his little hook or gimmick is like i'm sure he got some money uh-huh so there you go yeah i mean he was over for a couple years when they were when he like mm-hmm. when he turned on dibiase he got a good two years out of that well uh, he made a he made a really good career out of being a lackey and not everybody can do that. I I would argue, I would argue that where he's really underrated is his facial expressions. Um, I don't have a good enough recollection to to have a have an opinion we on t- it. To be honest, we talked about it during the Mega Powers thing, like his his utter disdain for everything when he's just kind of standing there. His scowl. Okay. And like when. All right. Yeah, I'm with you. When now. he turns on DiBiase, like that segment, like his facial expressions are really good in that um, that segment. Okay. I'm trying to remember, and I'm just not coming up with it. I'm sorry. It's it. I I. I have like I said, that's one of those things I have vague recollections of. Okay, so we had uh, we had that, match. and I, I like that Harlem Heat beat him up afterwards, just because, because mm-hmm. that's something like an attention to detail. I like, even though their faces, they're still supposed to be like street thugs. So of course, yeah. like street thugs would do things like that. It's not like where if it was WWE, they would just be smiling and kissing babies and right. lose all that edge. Like they're still like. They're still them, so of course they're going to beat him up afterwards because that's what they do. Yeah. Well, and um, Booker and and Stevie Ray, they fit... Oh, God. How's the best way I can put this? They portray that gimmick so much better than a lot of other teams that were supposed to be doing something similar. And I have to say... Have done. I have to say, like... What I liked here is you could really catch what people were saying, and Stevie Ray's got some just great trash talk when you can catch him talking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's no fruit booties. Yeah. But it's... <laughs> oh. But, you no, know, that, that is something else is that it feels like WCW mic'd their ringside area a little bit different. So that you could pick up on more of the 
on more of the smack talk as you went. And it, that's, I like that. It feels more true to form because like, if you go to an indie show and you're not doing that, like you can tell some guys, they watch it on TV and they see the guy's mouth moving, but they never hear what he's saying. So it's like subconsciously they come to this conclusion that they're not really saying anything. They're just running their mouth for the camera. Yeah. And then, and then they're like they're like fresh green guys, and they go out there and start doing that, and everyone's just laughing too hard, um, uh, and they can't, they, you know, they're already out there, so it's not like you can tell them. But uh, that it's that's why I like sitting closer. Like I remember I went once, and Jay Lethal is cheating, and the referee chastised him, and he got this really like surprised look on his face he's like what yeah yeah that's actually something i enjoyed about uh the in your house wrestlemania is you got to hear more of that kind of trash talk stuff it was a weird event but um you got to enjoy some that's of that. my favorite thing about ming is just the gibberish oh yeah god ming never said like an actual word unless it was Jimmy Hart, I don't think. Because he had the angle where it was, uh, he blamed Jimmy Hart for something that happened. And Jimmy Hart was just, like, recruiting people to fling in Ming's way so Ming didn't get his hands yeah. on him. It was, it was a weird angle, because all you ever got out of it, you didn't get Jimmy Hart, you got, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, okay, look, I, I know that Ming's got to be more articulate than that. I think it made it more scary, though. It, it does, because it, it makes it... Yeah, it did make him seem more savage. Mm-hmm. It makes Not it more Randy alien. Savage, but <laughs> made him seem a little more, like, you know, scary. Yeah. I have to say, more, Ming, more... Ming was trim for this time period when I finally saw him. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that's in the next match. We had an interview with DDP that was only, what, like three minutes long, but it, three or four minutes, but it seemed like a really good interview. Yeah, I like that, too, because he talked about how he doesn't have a problem with Flair. He has a problem with the company Flair is keeping. And he pretty much yeah, he pretty much does some foreshadowing for Fall Brawl because he's like, hey, man, like he did this to me. Like, what do you, was he, what do you think he's going to do to you? Yeah. Which is a shame. I wish that hadn't happened because I loved, I loved that the Horseman with Kurt Henning that night in like Greensboro or something that was so nuclear. Well, I kind of feel bad that I was a newer fan for this, so like I didn't have that whole subtext of like the Flair Henning relationship in WWF that they were kind of playing off of here. Yeah, that's fair. So this match uh, is Wrath. Defeats the Barbarian. Uh, this really wasn't much of anything, and Wrath was surprisingly not over here. Yeah, he really wasn't. Um, it was the it, it surprises me because out of the whole Blood Runs Cold crew, I think Wrath was like the least over guy. I think so too. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mortis Mortis um, did do cool shit though, so I think that helps. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I, I I always liked his look for for Wrath. You know the I always liked how the gimmick looked and and all that kind of stuff. But 
Uh, you know, just one person. Um, now this had the this had the botch I mentioned earlier, where I think the barbarian went to throw him into the guardrail, and Wrath kind of tripped, but managed to fling himself into the ring steps to salvage it a bit. Mm-hmm. And um, what I really liked here was just how professional they were because they kind of screwed it up and, ra- and Barbarian was like, oh, okay, like, well, I'm just going to chuck you into the apron and then throw you into the ring and we'll just go from there. Like, I really liked how it didn't phase anyone. Like, you could tell, like, something got a little messed up and they just were like, okay, like, on to the next thing. Yep. That's how you know someone... <laughs> That's one of the things I call the mark of a good worker. Is like, oh, it didn't go according to plan. Do they freeze up and 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 crap their tights, or did they just go, ah, okay, we do this? Thing. Yeah, like he literally, it literally happened. And Barbarian was just like, okay, picked him up, just shoved him into the ring apron, and then tossed him in the ring. I'm like, oh, that was like really surprising. And like, I bet when I was a younger fan, I wouldn't have even noticed that because they didn't react. Right, it just 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 smooth adaptation. Yeah. Matt, you you with us, man? Yeah, I'm still here. Um, okay. I like this match. It was uh, kind of just like a brief, like hot. Well, this is kind of like a hot match. That's what I was thinking. Uh, and it was good. Uh, I mean, they would do so much better stuff with Wrath a little bit later on. That's true. Um, but I liked it. I mean, I kind of was a. I think I mentioned before I was like a sucker for the whole like blood runs cold stuff. I actually liked those guys. Uh, maybe because too. I was like a, a Mortal Kombat mark back in the, in the day. <laughs> but um, I felt because they're gonna he's gonna pop up soon enough. Like I felt like I felt this work. Obviously Mortis was good. Chris mm-hmm. Canyon. I thought they they did utilize Brian Clark Wrath pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I felt Ernest Miller was kind of underrated. I mean, he wasn't fantastic, but I thought Glacier was felt... Glacier wasn't amazing, but I thought he was a savvy veteran talent that was competent mm-hmm. at what he did. Yeah, he was kind of he was serviceable. He was he... fine, I think, for the role. I think the thing that happened with Glacier is that because the martial arts gimmick was new to him, if if I remember correctly, like that was not a. That was something he had to pick up in order to do the glacier thing. And so instead of um, it being so so natural for him, it the martial arts stuff seemed pretty stiff. Like his ring work was fine, but when he'd start doing martial arts stuff, at least to me, it seemed stiff. And um, Miller was – he was fine, but you could tell when he got lost – because um, it, it, it comes back later. But in the ring, you could tell if Miller got lost because he wouldn't move. He'd, like, plant his feet and stay put. Uh, but I liked the Blood Runs Cold stuff, too. Like, I didn't even I didn't even realize it was a Mortal Kombat ripoff. I just got a kick out of it because it was a martial arts thing, and that, that connected with me. So. I liked when Shakara brought Glacier back for King of Trios one year, and the crowd was so into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't have who that he, laser entrance, though. I forget. The, who did he team with? Did he team with the ice creams? I, I would imagine it was the ice creams. I'd have to look. Oh, that's so perfect. I don't even remember what year that was. I think it was 2008, maybe. 
I'm gonna look this up. Okay. The uh... also Glacier had a cool cool ass entrance. Apparently, it cost, it cost them a boatload of money every time they did that entrance. Really? Why? Yeah. Well, all the laser work. There was one guy that they would have to fly in to do all that laser work and program it and calibrate it and that sort of thing. Like, uh, year moons ago, I saw a shoot interview that was with um, Glacier, whose real name Ray I'm blanking on. Ray Lloyd, yeah. And he said that's the thing whenever people bump into him and they, they recognize him. He's like, that's the thing they always say is, man, that entrance. But he said, no, they... They had to fly this special effects guy in to do it because of all the lasers and stuff, and it cost them like five thousand dollars every time. What? Yeah, that's see, that's why WCW burned money, like they were just lighting it on fire. Yeah, yeah. I I yeah. kind of feel I don't I know he's I know it's worked out for him now because people like the glacier gimmick, um, and he's he's benefited from that. But it has to suck up until that point where I think people like they got about eight years out and people started liking it. That at this point in time, like Glacier is a 10 year veteran and this is all people remember him for up to this point. Like that's got to kind of suck to a certain degree until like people kind of embraced it after the fact. I mean, being just being known for doing something is nice because there's a whole landscape of guys out there that he still does like conventions and stuff like that. I mean, like, you only need like the one gimmick that actually takes yeah. off, I guess. He, right. Not everyone. Not everyone can be Stone Cold. Well, you you well, just yeah. need, especially like on the convention circuit now, you just need that gimmick that you can put on the eight by tens that people want. Yeah, mm-hmm. just that picture of of him in the gear with like the lasers and the snow would probably do it. I mean, if if I went to a convention and I had my pick of the litter, he would probably there people there he would probably be ahead of of a lot of people on the list for me. I'm gonna be real honest with you. I'd be more interested in getting a glacier autograph than I don't know, maybe like Kevin Nash even. Cause I don't, I don't want to sit and listen to a whole lot of stuff. It's like, you just sign this for me, dude. I'm not. Uh, Brad, I looked it up. It was 2008. He was he was part of um, the 2008 King of Trios. Okay. With, uh, he was part of the Cold Front, and he did team with Los Ice Creams. Nice. <laughs> but then he returned the following year for the Cold Front 2.0, which it was him. Uh, Al Snow and D'Lo Brown. Oh, nice. I think I remember that. I should watch some old um, Chikara if you, King of Trios. If, you, um, I should. if you're willing to spend the eight bucks, uh, Chikara Topia has everything on it. Streaming. I should. I, I should at some point because that just, it sounds like they have a bunch of stuff that I would have a whole lot of fun watching. Oh yeah, Chikara. You know, Chikara, there's there's like a there is like a five to six year period before they did the closeout angle where it's one of the best booked promotions ever. It was well, a fantastic promotion, yeah. Even just, I mean, just even the the silly goofy stuff like 
my wife would probably get a huge kick out of watching that too. The, yeah, Glacier and the ice creams as the cold front would just tickles me enough that it's it's um he doesn't do it anymore, but uh, Jacob Hammermeyer used to come out and he would ring announce himself, and then his music would hit, and then he would run backstage and come back out and do his entrance all over again, like he got introduced. It was amazing. <laughs> And someone should do that, like, someone should do that, like, I think on the Kentucky indie scene, because I bet they would get so much heat because people would be pissed off at them being a jackass. Oh, man, being a jackass is the best way to get heat. Like, there's there's being a bully, which is guaranteed to piss people off because everyone's had to deal with that in their life at some point. But then to be that annoying jerk-off, right, that right there is going to... That's really gonna. That's really gonna piss. You remember when we talked with Alex Angel about it? He said, "What do I? What pisses me off?" He's like, "Mincy little emo kids piss me off." So he started doing that, and they, you know, they, it, it worked. So, it probably, you know what? If I if I if I touch base with anybody who's, uh, you know, any of my old contacts who are looking for something to mix it up with i'll try and and recommend it to him and you said that i'm probably gonna go messaging people like, hey how's your gimmick going <laughs> what are you doing messaging me now nothing i think you i um, think you also get a week free on Chikaratopia. just fyi it's good quarantine fodder okay. fair enough uh let's see Oh, after this match, by the way, after Wrath wins, uh, Ming shows up and like stares Wrath off of him. Yeah. So that which they have a match the next week according to the results. I thought, I thought, I had thought maybe they had a match scheduled for Road Wild, but they did not. Okay. Well, I mean, still, that's. I mean, no, you're not. You're not like doing big long-term booking, but just to carry that over, <sighs> carry that over is is a nice touch. Yeah, I thought Sorry that. I thought that. that was a nice touch. I always liked how Barbarian was kind of like the like as a tag team, they were really good. But if you got them in singles, Barbarian was beatable and Ming was not. Yeah, it, you know it's interesting. It just how much effort they put into just to doing stuff like that like building that impression i actually really think uh, um having seen him in the mid 80s barbarian is a super underrated talent he pretty much is like the only memories i have uh involving barbarian were from basically from seeing him on nitro oh, so he's um uh, i don't have a link to stand on he um i i haven't seen anything of him before but like really young barbarian was in um number one paul jones's army in like mid 80s jim crockett promotions okay like he was around there with um i know uh superstar billy graham was doing his god-awful kung fu gimmick there Oh, God. And he would he would come out to so he would come out to like Kung Fu Fighting by Carl Douglas and then he would karate chop the turnbuckle pads 
I'll have to dig up some footage for you. You'll think it's hilarious. Oh, that's god awful. I mean, I'm sure it got heat because, you know, that would probably annoy people. So he was so Barbarian was involved in that 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 feud with Jimmy Valiant that would never end. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um let's see. So we had I mean, he might have teamed with Shaska Watley at some point. Hmm, he probably did. Yeah. You guys, you guys absolutely blow my mind sometimes because you throw stuff out like that, and I'm like, I'm sure that's a name, but I don't remember. I've it. watched this stuff like in the last five years. Um, Shaska Watley is so. Um, what happened is there was pistol, you might, pistol, pistol. You might know him better. Yeah, yeah. pistol, Pez Watley. <laughs> you might know him better, pistol, Pez Watley. So, um, oh, okay. he was, he was like, who, who, um, when we talk about Rod and Fez. Fez Watley is based, even the way he talks is based on Pez Watley. Oh, okay. So um, what happened is they were doing a promo, and this was like Jimmy Valiant versus Paul Jones's army, and Jimmy Valiant called him the be- the best black wrestler in the world or something like that, and like Pez like freaked out and like cut some of his hair off and cut this promo on him, and then he became Shasko Watley. Okay. It's a good angle. I, I, it is a good angle. Like if I can ever dig it up for you, I will. But that, that's essentially how he became Shaska Watley because then he joined Paul Jones. Okay. He, um, he, I just looked it up. He did 100% team with Barbarian. Okay, cool. That I'll I'll have to see if I have some of that stuff. It's probably on worldwide and pro. If I had to guess they were on that a lot. Okay, the next segment we had, they spent a lot of the show building to, was the announcement from the Steiner Brothers, which was the introduction of Ted DiBiase as their manager. He proceeded to almost say World Wrestling Federation and caught himself. Oh, I, I yeah, I caught that. <laughs> he did. And then, yeah. well, what I loved about that, though, is that he... Did you see how carefully he said World Championship Wrestling Tag Team Titles? Yeah, later on. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I couldn't figure if that was him or Mean Gene catching it when he almost dropped that. Well, I don't know why I just didn't say WCW because WCW never really called it World Championship Wrestling Titles like WWF did. It was always just WCW. Yeah. I actually thought this is a good promo. What I what I found interesting is how different his cadence is when he's not being the million dollar man. That's a really good point because it's really really different. And then so Hall and Nash come out and they kind of talk some trash. And Nash actually had my my line of the evening, which is you only got Ted DiBiase because you need someone to read the menus for you on the road. <laughs> brutal <laughs> that's a solid burn yeah oh wow but uh i thought this was what i also what i really liked about this though is his promo was kind of like a closure to the million dollar man character in a weird way yeah i caught that too him saying you know thinking i had it all in the in the jets and all that because this Here's the other interesting wrinkle behind this is this was right after his um, 
basically his his literal come to Jesus meeting he had because uh, he was that's he, no that's not right I'm sorry I have the timelines messed up because that happened he quit being the million dollar man he quit competing as a million dollar man and was going to go go to Japan because that's when he had his come to Jesus meeting and he's like I can't do this anymore this is wrecking me and my wife so he's going to go to Japan and team with Hanson again and then he found out he couldn't wrestle anymore because his neck was too screwed up. Um, so, I'm, I'm sorry, my timeline's all messed up. But I there were definitely shades of it crossing over there, like you were saying. Yeah, because I don't know his timeline, like when he ended up in WCW or anything like that. I know, I remember seeing him with like the NWO and stuff. At the beginning he of the was, year. He was the precursor to Eric Bischoff. He was uh, he was billionaire Ted, who was who was supposed to be the one who was bankrolling the whole thing. Like, mm-hmm. how can the NWO afford to do all this stuff and buy airtime and that sort of thing? It was supposed to be that it was DiBiase doing it. But then once Bischoff came on board, then they're like, well, they don't really need Ted anymore. And he's like, look, guys, um, I'm worth more than just standing around holding Hogan's belt for him. So that was, uh, you know, the switch over to the, the Steiners didn't need a manager, but it did add a nice little wrinkle in their dynamic yeah. and their ongoing feud with the, with the Wolfpack. I do need to mention it. They were over as fuck here. Oh, yeah. Oh man, they were so over. Um, I, I loved, I loved the Steiners in this time period. It was, uh, in in you know, as, as a good little mark, <laughs> I was I was totally on the WCW side, um, and you know it was, I, I loved loved the Steiners as um you know as this team and who who seemed like one of the 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 great shining hopes in in beating the nwo at one of their strong points and they um they also had turned ray trailer before this i believe or around this time oh did they i don't remember when okay. it was i remember kurt henning when he was the u.s champ had a decent match with trailer on nitro for the belt i think Okay, I don't remember that. There's like this string after Kurt Henning gets the U.S. belt where he has this like really string of good matches he has like with Mongo and the Giant. Because I remember him giving the Giant the Fisherman suplex. And I do remember that. He had that. one with Benoit and I think he had one with Ray Trailer that was good. I think the because the, the match he had with Mongo was the revenge match from... Um, the war games and then the i think the benoit match would have been another revenge match yeah i would think so i'm 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 operating off of deduction here instead of memory but i'm it fits yeah i'm kind of going off i'm going off of very vague memories here but uh yeah, they come out there. We have that 
that section. And then that goes into the next match, which was Psychosis with Sonny Ono versus Conan. This was when Psychosis was transitioning away from his ring gear that had, like, body armor on it. I like this. I can't be the only one that remembers that, I like that, this. Right? Um, I like the... I like the psychosis look. That kind of the tool, the two tone. Yeah. Like the yeah, I liked it too. But I have to, I have to say this, and I, I never thought highly of him, but holy god, is Conan just wretched? No, he's awful. I think I've said on this podcast before. Like, I don't, I don't know if I've seen him in a good match. Maybe. Maybe going back to like mid '90s when the world when worlds collide pay per view. If you guys ever saw that, that um, I think it was Triple A did it, where he wrestled a uh, Paraguayo senior yeah. in like a steel cage. That was that might be the only like good match. And I actually have to to watch the show that show again to see if it was actually does hold up. And because no, when I watched wait. it back in the day, I was like, oh, this is cool. It's like different type of wrestling, and I was into it. But I don't know. I'd have to see. Because I just felt Conan was terrible. He's terrible. Terrible. Yeah. There is one I can think of off the top of my head match that Conan had that was pretty good. And it was, uh, I think it was Spring Stampede 99 against Disco Inferno. I could see Disco hmm. dragging him kicking and screaming to something good. Uh, it was, I mean, it was pretty good. It wasn't great, but it was, it was right after Conan had released his music video. Oh, God. And it was disc, it was disco, like just like green screened in front of it. And he was like muttering gibberish over the top of Conan's lyrics. And you cut to the announce team and they're trying not to laugh about it. Cause that was where you got, um, you got disco who was shouting, yep. Yeah, Bow wow wow yippee oh yippee oil of Olay all day every day, and you know because you, you would have people in the crowd who didn't know what Conan was actually saying and wrote that on their signs, so Disco kept dropping that in there. It's just like the transition here though, like they're so sloppy, and he does that like I don't even know what you call it that thing where he kind of like dropped psychosis on his head like. Just, like, pulling that off took forever because he's so awkward and, like, the Tequila Sunrise doesn't even look like it hurts. No, the Tequila Sunrise is awful, but you're talking about that Cradle DDT Yeah, does. It, it, like, it, it looks okay once he does it, but it takes so long for him to actually set it up that it kind of spoils oh, yeah. it. That's a fair point. Like, I like the move itself, but it does take him forever to get it yeah to get someone into the cradle for now it. this the, what happens afterwards though is actually a segment i strongly remember and it's one of my favorite nitro moments ever so mysterio kind of hobbles out on his um his crutches and he comes out there and conan's kind of messing with him and he kicks one of his crutches away well hang on hang on little little bit of little bit of backstory because conan's like his buy-in to the NWO was that he injured Mysterio yeah. to get in. Because that was right after Ray's um, challenge to Nash. And, you know, it was it was working for a minute, Ray hit and running on Nash. 
but um, then, you know, Nash got a hold of him and just planted him. And here comes Conan, who it looks like he's going to take up for Ray and, and hold Nash off. And Nash just kind of looks at him and leaves. And then Conan did a thing that supposedly injured Ray. It didn't even look good for what it, whatever it was supposed to be. But, and then, and then we get this. So I'm sorry, Matt. I, or I'm sorry, Brad. I, no, you're I fine. Hey, but I, what, Frank. one thing I want to add to the Nash Mysterio thing is what I really like that WCW did is they layered that feud through years because they would always yeah. call back to the lawn dart moment. Yeah. But it seems like even like when they got into like the mask stuff later, Nash always seemed to really appreciate Mysterio doing that for him. Yeah. Because I was watching a shoot with them when they did that backstage segment, and Nash was kind of like, you sure you want to do this? Like, when they when he ch- tossed him into the, the side of the thing, and he was like, Mysterio's like, yeah, it was just like, yeah, do it. Like, this is going to be great. <laughs> I would be young and he was made just of like, yeah, he's like, He was just like, you sure about this? Like, yeah, do it. Like, just toss me. Oh, God, to be that young and invincible again. Yeah. I mean, he was, like, I think, like, 23. Yeah. Yeah. In his time, if that. He might have actually been younger than that. Uh, so, yeah, I can see, it, like, just young and dumb. Yeah. <laughs> that's, one of, that's one of, like, the, the most enduring memories I have of, of Nitro. It's one of, like, the classic moments. Yeah. But so... So, like, they do all that. So, Mysterio comes out on his crutches. Conan, like, kicks one away. And, like, Ray goes down like he's going to get it. And Conan, like, steps on it. And he leans down to get it. And Mysterio just puts the leg down and just busts the crutch, like, right on his back. And uh, I don't remember yeah. who said it, but one of the announcers had a great liar. He's like, looks like he's walking pretty good to me. Yeah. That was, that was probably him. Yeah. But I love it might have been Shivani, but I love that though because that is that is the kind of stuff they don't let faces do anymore. Like right. he just went out there and he got one over on him like so well. Yeah. The um Yeah, it's it, it's like faces have to be dumb now. So I don't know. I think they wrestled. Did they wrestle? Yeah, they wrestle at um. Roadwild. Yeah, because Mysterio does like tweak the. I think he like injures the leg at um Road Wild. Conan beats him, and then he's out for like a little bit, and he comes back, and they start the. The Eddie feud. Was that the the LWO feud, or was that a different? No, that's one? the Halloween Havoc match of awesomeness feud. Oh, that that fed into that yeah. one. Oh, okay. I thought that was earlier for some nope, reason. That that feeds into that. Now that I sit here and think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, well of course not. But I don't know for some reason in my is, head it was. It was this is kind of Eddie's. This is early into Eddie's heel run because what happens is Malenko beats him for the U.S. title earlier in the year. And Eddie gets hurt, and then he costs 
Malenko the title because he comes out with like his arm in a sling and then he frog splashes him during the Jarrett match and costs him the belt. You saying frog splash with the arm in the sling tickles something in my memory, but I can't get a good handle. I, on I don't it. remember how it looked. I just I have vague like recollections of that because I remember yeah. Guerrero and Jarrett teamed for like a couple weeks and like. Jarrett would put them in the figure four and Eddie would frog splash them when they do their like tag team finisher. Mm, okay. I feel like I remember that visual, but I don't really remember the tag team. I don't, I don't okay. remember if they did anything with it. I just, I watched a lot of like worldwide and like Saturday night at this time frame, And you would see like stuff like that. See, they've got so many talented guys on the card. Yeah. That, it's kind of hard to like there there'd be so much good stuff that could come along it's kind of hard to keep track of everything yeah. all right i'm gonna move us on a little bit um you know keep us moving along the next match why don't we bundle the? why don't we bundle the two matches that are kind of just there and then we'll focus on the two important matches left okay so we had the just their matches. The next one up is is uh, Damien and Silver King versus Ernest Miller and Glacier, which is basically just an excuse for Ernest Miller and Glacier to win and get Miller some ring yeah. time. Mm-hmm. And then it was uh, good to see. It was good to see Silver King. Yeah, yeah. One of Dusty Rhodes's favorites. Was it really? Well, I feel like he would always get really excited for Silver King. Oh, okay. Silver King, King, Tony. Didn't Silver King do, like, the helicopter toss or whatever? Like, he had, like, a couple of really cool moves, I remember. Yeah. He had the the airplane spin he would do into the, um, his front somersault leg drop. Yes, that was it. So, uh... And then we also had the Los Villanos defeating Hector Garza and Lismark Jr. And this one actually surprisingly got some time. It did. I was going to say before we leave this, this is the match I was talking about where Miller got kind of lost towards the end of it and he just plants his feet and looks around like he's trying to figure out what to do. Okay. But, um, yeah, the Vianos and Garza and Lismar. Which I found funny because when Shad started watching this, he was like, hey, do the Vianos ever win in WCW? And then they won. Yeah, I know. I didn't expect that at all. Well, I like um, the. Tw- I I'm a sucker for twins switching out and stealing wins from people. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But I really, uh, I really liked uh, Lismark Jr. in this match. They were Lismark and and Garza were both. They were smooth, but I I don't feel like they were real polished. No. I, I also, it's been a while since I've seen the Villianos, but they're very good Rudos. Like, they're very good, like, grounded bullies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because, like, they kind of just, they, they, they fed the, they fed the Technicos and their kind of high-flying offense, but then when they were up, they would just bully them and, like, ground them and just use kind of more brawly tactics. So this, this was actually... It would look very different, Lucha Libre, but the di- the the Technico versus Rudo dynamic that you see in Lucha Libre was more present here than you would see in WCW at times. That's really interesting. Uh, I did not I did not know about that particular interplay. Yeah. So, 
thank you for that actually um Garza and Lismark were good but they didn't they didn't put moves together very well I didn't think but it was I mean still a good match I mean god what was the 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 like the Conan match was the bad yeah. one yeah like one like it, it feels like one out of 13 being bad as opposed to just being you know pretty good yeah that's that's you know that's that's a pretty good record. So then we get we get um, interspersed in here. We get JJ Dillon offering Sting a match with Kurt Hedding, which Sting tears up because you know that's not what he wants. Because we get into this, this goes on for months. I think of JJ offering him matches and Sting finally having to grab a sign from some idiot in the crowd and being like, "I want Hogan," because Dillon was being super dense about it for some reason. Well, he didn't have to grab a sign. It's the crowd was chanting so loud. They were chanting Hogan. And Sting just kind of takes the bat and points yeah. to him. But, yeah, it, it did feel dumb for, for Dylan to be that dense I about it. I do have to re- – I do remember now uh, having seen him in action. I do like J.J. Dillon as an authority figure. Yeah, because he had a thing with Bischoff earlier on where Bischoff's, like, making a threat and Dylan laughs at him and walks yeah. away. Yeah. So then we get to the first of what I'm going to call a double main event show, which is Diamond Dallas Page versus Ric Flair. Um, Ric Flair is massively over. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Page is too, but not to take away from your point. I mean, they're both massively over. There's just something like Flair and WWF and WWE has never felt like WCW or NWA Flair. Matt, I thought I heard you wanting to say something there. No, I didn't. Yeah. Okay. Like, I didn't um I didn't get a chance to actually watch this match. This is a That's okay. Yeah. I just uh, I I thought I heard you I thought I heard your voice like mm. getting ready to chime in for a second. I no. I really no. like this match because what what this match kind of comes down to is is Flair puts over DDP massively in this match because Flair pretty much mm. has to cheat to get any sort of advantage. He um he pretty much sells it like DDP's just that much better than him. Well, and that even calls back to the earlier promo, which was, uh, what was it Paige said? Flair, you've got my respect, but I've got your number. Yep. So it was Paige saying, no, 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 I figured you out. I've got this. And then it comes back and does it. And I'm like, like at, at the time, I just would have bought into it. But now I'm like, God. How tight is this kind of, you know, storytelling stuff that we get to that, that like actually comes back? And they threw they threw an amazing wrinkle that took me by surprise in this because Flair did like his flip over the top rope and he runs over to the other turnbuckle and he goes for a move off the top rope and Paige jumps into the air and lariats him in midair. It looked outstanding. It did. It looked, it looked, it looked good, and it wasn't the standard like Flair stumbles down the apron and you just punch him while he's on the way there. Yeah, or or you, or he he runs over to the other turnbuckle and you you slam him off the top rope, which was a popular yeah. one. So then at that point, Kurt Henning has enough. Well, 
that's the other thing. So Kurt Henning came down to ringside. So a lot of Flair getting on offense was Flair cheating or Henning interfering on his behalf. Yeah. So then um, Henning runs in for the DQ. He has a pair of knuckles that DDP manages to get away from them. So it's a two-on-one. And DDP literally takes the knuckles. He chucks it to the ref and then manages to fight them both off in a really great post-match brawl, I thought. It was. Like, some of the context that's missing is that in this time frame, Paige was scrapping with, like, multiple NWO members, like, every week. So if anybody would know how to how to fight, you know, multiple people off, it's going to be him. And he, um, it, it looks like uh, Henning and, and Flair have him, and they shoot him off, he ducks under, under does a double clothesline, and they, they bail out. So it part of it, it seems to me that, that in this time frame, DDP was just, like, fueled by hate. If he hated you, then he was going to find a way to get over on you. Um, but it was, it was a, it, it didn't take too long, but it established, you know, Paige as a threat to both of the guys, and it looked good. Like, it, it was... This this whole little section of the show was just good. So then we head off to the main event. Now this is I have to say this. I know they spent a lot of money on it, but I feel like Michael Buffer really adds a lot here. Yeah, because they they fly him in for the the big match feel. Eventually, you get kind of tired of it because you're like, oh. We're doing this again. Yeah, but for this, like, this match felt, like, just enormous. Even years later, it still feels like the air, like, on the show just felt different. That's true. Like, the whole show, even early on, and maybe this is just me running off of nostalgia memory, but it felt like that the, uh, the attitude for the entire show was kind of different than your normal nitros were. Yeah, I would agree with that. Like they, even in the buzz in the crowd. Because, you know, the announcers could could do their best to try and sell. And it's like, oh, this is a special nitro. And you'd be like, fine, whatever. But this one really did feel different. And they, they spent a lot of time building up to this match as well. Which, as well, they should. But, um, you know, here's here's Buffer, and he does the thing, and he's out there doing it. And I have to admit something. I don't know if this makes me a heathen or not, but I always I always did kind of like uh, Luger's WCW music. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I had one friend who was, he was so derisive about it, because he's like, oh, that's just the old hotline music. I'm like what it is i don't know i never called the hotline what's the was it <laughs> but so the the match itself um actually is a little better than i remembered it being i wouldn't say it's anything outstanding it gets the job done it's a lot of hogan cheating and beating on luger luger gets some hope spots um we come back 
Hogan finally gets... Wait. Well, hang on, because in that is something we said we were going to come back to. Um, Through the course of this whole match, Hogan runs his mouth continuously. Oh, that's what I meant to talk about. He, You can hear every word he says. You can, and he just, he never shuts up the entire time. It, it had been years since I saw this. Um, I was kind of surprised by it just because I didn't realize it through my memory. But Hogan is in control of this match like 90% of the time. Yeah. It's almost all Hogan offense. It's almost to the point where it's like a squash match. Not quite, but I mean, he's just giving everything to, to Luger until mostly towards the end when the comeback happens. But Right. Uh, I it, it is, you do forget how good Hogan, not just was as a heel, mm-hmm. but how good he could actually, he actually is so much of a better worker than people give him credit for because he never had he never really had to like right bust out what he could do for the most part um but there are things like he did doesn't that i that i felt were like tremendous like when he's like dropping elbows and then he's gonna go for a third and then he just gets up and just takes his boot and rakes it across yeah Luger's <laughs> forehead just like it's just it's a dick move it's yeah. like he really he wasn't just like a good heel but he was like the classic, like, I'm a chicken shit heel doing nasty little things like that. Well, even, yeah. like, little things he did, like, when Luger was, like, repeatedly slamming his head into the turnbuckle, how Hogan makes sure to get mm. that visual of his hair, like, flying up around his his head. Mm-hmm. And, and I also like the announcers, like, just the way they sell Hogan's, like, level of achievement. Like they did a really good job of ma- of like just selling over and over again that like he really is like the man in professional wrestling. Mm. Yeah, he was the the Heenan was really big on that. It's like all the Heenan's like you know all the you know all the trailblazing he did. Heenan was was really big on that particular job, but like. You mentioned, you know, he drops the elbow, drops the elbow, he goes, and he's not going to drop it. He goes to drop the other elbow. He just kind of waves both of his hands and then does the boot break. Was That moment stood out to me. But, like, through the whole match, not only can you hear everything he says, but he is stopping very intentionally to talk directly into the camera. Like, he, he stops and he, he jaw jacks directly into the camera in order to to keep healing basically through the like the whole time. I I also like when Luger got his big flurry like kind of right before the commercial break. Hogan didn't and Hogan did not legitimately regain control. He raked the eyes as he was like backing mm-hmm. away and the ref was kind of getting yeah. in there. He gave him that quick little poke like that's some really good heel stuff. Yeah. Just a quick little thing. It's like, "Ah, nope now i've got it screw you i'm the man and uh and the the thing is during the commercial break we have a commercial break because that's just kind of a hallmark of the time they they mentioned the fact that hogan took a chair to luger during the break too that we didn't get to see so there's there's a little bit in that in that hogan healing it up that we don't actually get yeah and 
Sorry. And then there's that nice visual where he chops Luger and all that sweat, like, comes off of him. Uh Uh-huh. And um, so then he he gets a big boot. He does the body slam, and he finally gets the leg drop, and he kind of... He kind of lays mm-hmm. there and struts for the crowd a bit, and he goes for the pin, doesn't get it, and you can hear like there's an audible kind of gasp from the crowd when Luger kicks out. And Hogan sold it so well. Yeah, and then he goes for the second one. Luger, um, Luger dodges it. So Hogan and Luger on the ground. You can see Luger struggling up. Gives the clothesline for Hogan. NWO runs in. He clears everyone out. Gives the forearm to Hogan. He chucks Savage to the outside. Makes sure the clear hall. He goes for the rack sign. And then the crowd. The crowd is literally on their feet the whole time. And you can hear. Like they just get louder when Luger goes for it. Puts the torture rack on Hogan. He taps out. You can see like how happy Randy Anderson is. Oh yeah, he made that particular moment yeah. right then. Yeah, um, he yeah. looks like shocked. Crap, and he's so happy too. Crowd goes crazy. People like are just throwing trash in the ring. Like the locker room clears out. Everyone starts high fiving Luger and stuff, except poor D Malenko because Luger doesn't see him. Because it gets left yeah. hanging. <laughs> I, I still laugh about that 20 years later. Even Barbarian was out there, which I thought was a little weird. Did you notice the sheer number of fanny packs yes. that were in the ring at this time? And then um, I what I did like, though, is that the Giant was the a DDP were like two of the first ones in there. Yeah. They really like subtly built, maybe not subtly. Maybe this is just my my nostalgia brain again but it feels like they subtly built like the camaraderie between those three like the the three war buddies who've, who've been through it all together well, they did that little many thing where luger and ddp had that misunderstanding and they had like a match on nitro that ended with them like having a standoff with the nwo um, i think that might have been one where sting came out and like tossed everyone baseball bats distributed yeah. bats to everybody I, I have a vague recollection of that that might have been a, a luger ddp like misunderstanding maybe but um we've got everybody out there celebrating and i i, I can't help but wonder did they not tell the guys that this was going to happen it's like no, no no we want you to go out there and celebrate don't change out of your ring gear yet well no, i think well the the face winning and the locker room clearing out is a is a is a trope of like WCW that WWE has never really embraced. Um, so, I don't know. You're probably right, but I'm just referring to how many of them were in street clothes. Yeah, I don't know. Well, That's I mean, some all. of them didn't even wrestle either. Um, yeah. I I I I did that once on a show. I was a face on, and it was like, and they're like, no, 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 you just just don't leave. Because we're gonna have you uh, go out and and you know here at the end, and I was like, "Do you want me to stay in gear?" And they're like, "No, no, don't get you." Well, you can tell it's the '90s okay. because I didn't know if High Voltage had shorts on and no shirts, or they were out there in their boxer shorts. <laughs> I think they were shorts. 
Hey, I'm going to pause for a second because Brad and I got so excited. Matt did, didn't mean to cut you off if you had other thoughts you wanted to throw in here. No, I um, I really liked the celebration. I remember that back when I was watching this as a kid. Uh, it just felt like a, such a cool moment because, I don't know, like I was – I was still kind of like a mark back in those days, so I was as excited as everyone else was that Luger actually won the title. I mean, they they had him drop it literally like a week yeah. later at the pay per view, but which I was actually kind of disappointed about. But um, I just felt it added a lot to it. It was fun to see like DDP and and Ray <laughs> just get so excited, just be pouring champagne. Oh, Ray was loving dumping things on people backstage. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, the, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. that uh, does it. Oh, I was gonna say to add to that the the other like piece to it that I loved so much was the fact that one of the first things that was happening was that the giant was putting the paint thinner on the rag to get the spray paint off. Yeah. The oh yeah, I noticed that. It, I, I love to go that. to go forward to Road Wild, but I love though that when Hogan wins the belt back, he spray paints it even more obnoxiously back on the belt afterwards. He makes it like bigger and yeah. thicker, doesn't he? But I love that that was part of it is the celebration and all these all these baby faces are celebrating together and that was great. But then the like one of the main focuses is getting that crap off the belt. I also like that Hogan was throwing a temper tantrum in the NWO locker room afterwards. Is it just me or did it feel like that Hogan's temper tantrum was like like kind of kind of impotent well i think that's the point it was supposed to be yeah yeah okay okay so all right all right good i'm not it 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 made him seem like like just i don't know just just such a little bitch i I mean i think that's what it's supposed to be though well and i guess i'm just articulating then but so so we kind we kind of had a side conversation. Uh, well, we had we had two side conversations. I for me personally, this this is still one of my favorite moments of the the Monday Nitro. Well, the Monday the Monday Night Wars era. Um, I don't think anything ever quite touched this moment for me. I would have to have stuff to compare it to because here the problem is oh oh I'm gonna go go ahead and do this so it's on the record somewhere um, like the three of us really enjoyed last week the last episode nine on the hoss fight thing but I feel like I for my own personal safety I need to make a public apology to Scott Norton because uh, <laughs> we forgot to put him on that. We did uh, forget to put him on. Yeah. Wait, where were the other two? I've... Scott, I am so sorry. The, I spent the whole week beating myself up because I think we forgot Davy Boy Smith and um, Jim Neidhart too. Yeah. Uh, I was kicking myself because I, I wanted to mention on the podcast and I forgot to that I would have totally simmed this entire, that whole tournament in Fire Pro Wrestling. <laughs> and it probably would have been like super like super super interesting. Yeah, we we talked we talked about what you and I thought Stan Hansen and Vader would probably have been at the end because they would have KO'd a lot of guys. They probably would have still been in the yeah. end, yeah. 
Um, but just to put that out there, so first of all, we respect the hell out of Scott Norton, and then second, please don't kill us. Because um, he deserved to be in that, but I don't know, just total vapor lock on it. I probably should but, have put Ron Simmons in the tournament. I felt really bad about that afterwards. I probably would have given him a couple of wins. Yeah, well, and, and like, I probably would have given, given Norton some, but the, like, I'm doing this to illustrate the point that my memory can get kind of shoddy sometimes, and I don't want to short shrift anything that I can't think of, but, like, stuff that I would I would have as comparison. Um, like, okay, so we've got this. And then we'd obviously we'd have to compare Hogan Goldberg and the Georgia Dome. Uh, Mick Foley wins his first world title. Um, the uh, probably like the beer bath. I think um, Sting coming down from the ceiling at Uncensored '97 and just destroying everyone and finally facing Hogan down is probably up yeah. there. So there's a like I'd have to compare them. In order to, it feels like to to do that discussion justice. Like I'd need a list, and then I'd want to like like review some of them because like out of what I just threw out, like the beer bath was cool, but on the other hand, it's that's really all it is. It doesn't seem to carry the emotion that a lot of other stuff does. I think I would put. For an Austin moment, like beating Kane to win the title back after the first blood match might be something I might put over that. You know, I thought of, I thought about that, but I didn't say it because I, I wasn't sure about how I, – I wasn't sure about the emotion on that because to me it, it felt kind of like an, an inevitability that Austin was going to win or it the, back. Um, there was that big – I don't remember the context, but that Austin Taker match that was on Raw during the ministry angle felt really big at the time. That's okay. that one that actually beat like Monday Night Football. It did such like a big rating. Were they running unopposed that night? They might have been. Well, like, no, it would have. They would have been running unopposed because they would have. That would have been running that like around the 1030 mark okay matt um did you have any are there any other moments that spring to mind for you that would you'd put in contention not off the top of my head oh i got i got one how about how about sid finding out that goldberg had compacted his vehicle in the parking garage it doesn't do much for me Oh come on, Sid freaking out's hilarious. I I was being facetious anyway. It, it is, but it's 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 uh, it's funny, but it uh, it doesn't it like for me it doesn't stack up with with what we're talking about. How about um, uh, how about the Big Show funeral? <laughs> <laughs> okay, funny, but again, I'm not sure I'd I'd stack that up with the. With what we're, I, what we're, on. I, I need to, it would oh. never make a list, but I have a soft spot for that Valvinus Rikishi cage match where Rikishi like did the dive off the top. Oh, wow. That's getting towards the end though, yeah. when it wasn't really a war anymore though. 
That's true. I remember that because I was watching it with my then girlfriend, now wife, and she. I was like, "Oh, okay, Val's going to come off the top of the cage." And she goes, "How do you know?" I'm like, "Look at this. There's no way they're going to have Rikishi come off the top." And uh, well, I was wrong. <laughs> Actually, I'll tell you. No, WCW has gone crap. I was going to say Benoit and Jericho beating Austin and Triple H is probably one of my favorite Raw mm. moments for the tag titles. That and um, Jericho beating Triple H. Oh, that's uh, a good one. Title that got reversed. Yeah, that's a good one. So th- I-, I heard rumblings that that was supposed to be like a test run, but the for like how over it would be if Jericho did that, but then somebody crapped on it. It's like, no, it's just because they beat Triple H. Oh, that, that makes sense. If that's what it was. So then uh, the other question is kind of, I, and I kind of wanted both of your inputs, but Shad kind of posed the question during our watchings. If, um, if, if this Luger role that works so well, if someone else could have done that, or if, if they needed Luger for that role. It's an interesting question. Because I kind of said at first, I thought someone else could do it, but I thought it'd be slightly lesser. But then I thought about it over a night, and then I kind of, I kind of shied away from that and said, I think, I think Luger was distinctly the right role for this, this job. What do you think, Matt? For this point in time because they were still not they weren't going to pull the trigger on the sting thing for a bit he probably was the best choice i don't think it would have been as good if you had like giant <clears throat> still too early for like tdp so he probably like by this is kind of like it's not really trying to cut him short but probably like process of elimination he probably was like the best choice i'm um, uh... Like, what Brad said got me thinking about it, and given, like, there's a few things that we have to, there that I feel like you got to consider, is um, there's the the fact that, that Luger kind of has a, a pedigree at this point, as, like, uh, like, his his level of competence is already established. He he was already a former world champion. At well, this I point. think I think where where I think he um he has a distinct advantage. Like you could have maybe held Randy Savage off for the turn and done this with him, but I think you needed to be distinctly WCW for this role. Mm-hmm. Well, everybody talks about Savage as the um as, as in the wwf stuff but it seems to me that he had um he split his time a lot more i think than people remember but uh well savage was savage he, was re- well received by the wcw crowds i would argue more so than hogan was until this time frame yeah I guess the best answer I because you have Luger who's who's got an established pedigree. Luger 
looks like they you know he would be a challenge for Hogan too like you know he's got the size and the strength going as well um and, so it's there's optics that come into and it. Luger is Luger is confident in the ring he he he's he sells well like I thought he sold particularly well in this match I also think he's he's not like an amazing talker but he's good enough I would actually argue he's kind of underrated there's a lot of people that like to crap on him. Um, and to be fair, yeah, he did some really, um, well, I would just say he did some really shitty stuff in the course. Of well, his life. I mean, he's he, at this point, he'd be the first person to tell you. Yeah. He, he'll admit yeah. that. Um, but, but a but lot of the heat he takes from other workers though, isn't because of that stuff. It's because, he was a businessman uh, and knew his value and did not settle for less. And people really resent yeah, that. Yeah, well, I, I'm thinking more of, of like how I hear a lot of fan reaction is that people hate on him a lot. But you, like I said, you've got good optics, you've got good history, you know, you've got good skills. And frankly, I cannot think of anybody else who would have been available in that time frame that would have fit because DDP, like you said, he's on the way up giants kind of already done this, but it didn't work so well. Um, sting were waiting on the final thing. So while, while the ultimate hero were waiting on to show up, we need an interim hero to lead the charge. You, you got to have someone who's going to lead the charge in, um, of, of, well, it Luger, DDP and Giant, and I can't think of anybody else who would who would be in that spot. Yeah, I really can't either, because because Flair wouldn't really work because Flair Flair's style wouldn't have fit that. Because what they really did smartly with Luger from uncensored to this point is like he just kept winning and like he caught Hogan in a non-title match, and you know they built it that it was believable. Whereas Flair like. Flair beating Hogan would be fine, but it has to be. Flair's gonna have to like cheat and you know, be Flair about it, especially at this point in his career. Yeah. The Horsemen were kind of like, they were still heels, but they were anti NWO heels. Yeah. So, that that wouldn't have fit either. And I guess you could have done Piper, but they didn't seem to want to uh-huh. go to that. They. But they already did the thing with Piper, and that's how we got age in the cage. Yeah. And it didn't really yeah. work. So I think he was the right. So, I think he was. I think. I think he couldn't have really done the same thing with anyone else. Right. Well, everybody, we have done it. A hundred episodes. We are into triple digits. That automatically makes us more credible, right? Um. <laughs> So, guys, anything you want to say that that we've hit this before we wrap up? Uh, here's to another 100 episodes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Onward. Hopefully, Onward hopefully we will be allowed back out in public before episode 200 drops. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, hopefully. Um, 
we want to say thank you, everybody. Even if this is your first time listening, thank you for listening. And some of you guys have been around with us for a long time. We want to say thank you. We would love to hear from you on our social media platforms, um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. And like I said, thank you for being with us all this time. This is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth. We'll catch you on the next episode.